Well, good morning and welcome to Resurrection Sunday at Encounter. So good, so good to be together like this on, uh, on Easter Sunday. We join our, our voices today with millions of others uh, across the world, maybe billions of others across the world as we celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty and our Lord has risen from the dead and conquered sin and death on our behalf. That's, that's the takeaway, by the way. That's the point of us gathering here uh, today and really every year. Uh, and every Sunday, uh, my kid asked me this morning what I'm, what I'm preaching about. And they said, are you, are you preaching about Jesus uh, rising from the dead? And I said, um, true story. The secret is I preach about that every Sunday. It's just in a, in a different kind of way. But yeah, that's where I'm going with this one as well a little bit later on. We're in a, we're in a series uh, today called uh, Things God Didn't Say. And some of you might be new to Encounter. You might be new to church in general. What a series is all about. Is, uh, is kind of our way of focusing our time and attention around maybe a theme or a topic, a book of the Bible, in order to learn and grow in a particular way. And so next week, we're actually kicking off a brand new series called uh, What's the Point of Church? Some of you who have maybe been attending church for a little while, uh, the last couple of years, maybe you've been asking yourself that question, like, what is the point of church? It's possible, too, that there's some, uh, some people here who have been hurt by the church or somebody in the church. Maybe you gave up on it and, just, and walked away, and, and you're here today because, like, somebody promised you lunch afterwards or, like, whatever the thing is. And, and you're wondering, what is the point? Of church, Join us next week as we kick off a four-part series called What's the Point of Church? Today, though, we kind of have a fun way of digging into some of the things that God did say by highlighting and really naming some of those things that God didn't say. And so especially the Easter edition of this today is what God didn't say. Jesus never said, uh, blessed are those with the best Easter ham. Let yourself off the hook a little bit. He never said that. Uh, he never said, as often as you gather, make sure to eat peeps and chocolate bunnies and remember me. He never said that. We do that. We eat peeps. I ate some chocolate bunnies today, but not because Jesus told me to, just because they're delicious. God never said that. God never said, whoever wants to uh, come and follow me must always get along in the car on the drive-in to Easter church in the morning. <laughs> Some of you are like, how did, how did he know? <laughs> we fight in the car. Because I do too. That's my story too. Real person. Uh, we're, we're a family of four and we take two cars in the way to church. Because I don't, I don't want to come to church like showing up here after like refereeing an argument in the backseat and then have to tell people about Jesus and grace and love. Like I don't want to carry that guilt along with me. And that's really like the, the point of today. The point of today is we're kind of asking that question. What, is, what does God not say? What does God actually say about the guilt, about the shame that all of us carry around with from, from one level or another? And we all, we all have varying levels of that guilt. We all have varying levels of shame. I think it was Barna did a, a survey a while back just asking people, like, what are the things that you feel guilty about? And it's like 29%, I believe, of the respondents said uh, that they feel guilty about foods that they've eaten which isn't a great thing to highlight like the peeps and the chocolate bunny and then talk about food guilt. Men report feeling guilty of having food guilt for about 20 minutes and then it kind of goes away. Women, it's longer than that, but we're not going to go into that. I'm not stepping into that. It's between you and Jesus. We're not going there today. A lot of us who grew up in church, maybe you're trying to follow Jesus, we carry like, uh, like Christian guilt, right? Or shame of like, God, you know, you did so much for me. We recognize that. 
like especially Good Friday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Weekend. You know, we come into this time where like, I should, I should read my Bible more. I should pray more. I should, I, sh- I should, I should do so much more because of how immensely much he has done for me. We carry around this, like this Christian guilt, this Christian shame with us. Some of us have mom guilt, not me personally, of course, but uh, kind of this, this balance, right, of like work outside the home, work inside the home, trying to, trying to get that thing right and always kind of feel like, like you're neglecting something. We even have like success and failure guilt, right? Feeling guilty when, when something doesn't work out. Maybe it's a failed relationship. Maybe it's a failed uh, business kind of enterprise, like launching a new product, a new division, a new whatever. And maybe it doesn't go well and we feel guilty about that. But then when it does go well, it's a successful launch. We feel guilty because it's like, well, well maybe I didn't get the balance right. Maybe I, I, sh- I didn't get the like work-life balance right and, And I feel guilty about the relational thing when I'm succeeding at the work thing or vice versa. Like we struggle with this, the the guilt. Like what do we do with the guilt? What do we do do with the shame? And pretty much it adds up over time. And and it starts to make us like wonder, maybe if I feel guilty, maybe it's because I am guilty. Maybe that's the reason why good things shouldn't happen to me or why good things wouldn't happen to me. You know, I, I kind of ask that question sometimes because it's Easter Sunday and like, who am, I, who am I to be able to stand on this stage and to be able to share the greatest story ever told? I mean, I've got my own guilt. I've got my own shame that I kind of bring in. I'm confession time you know, here. I carry pastor guilt, right? Pastor shame, uh, which is maybe only a few of us in the room kind of get that. But like, I, you know, you know, true story. Uh, years back, I was a... a I was like a student, uh, student pastor, and I was working for another, uh, another church at the time, and, uh, and I'm kind of a competitive person at some things, which didn't like highlight my best side when it was announced that I got to participate in this church's like a Thanksgiving uh, football game, and because I was like student, you know, pastor, they're like, well, you can be on, on like the youth group side, and, and we play every year Thanksgiving morning against the, the elder board of the church, and uh, you can go, and I'm like... I, how is this a competitive game? Like, they do this every year. There's students who play on their high school football team, and they're, like, competitive with, let's say, more seasoned, you know, people in ministry. Like, how is this at all even? And I figured out pretty quick how it's even. It's because these jokers are, like, pushing and shoving and, and cutting every corner and cheating every, every way. And that's just, like, part of how the game stays, stays competitive every year. But I'm, like, new. I'm the student guy. I'm just, I'm looking around going, well, that's not right. You know, and so I start to call it out. Like, hey, no, no, this guy was out of bounds right there. That wasn't a touchdown. That wasn't, you know, first down. He didn't make it. And I'm getting, like, animated. And here I am, like this student pastor. And now I get into a shouting, into a literal shouting match with one of the elders on the board of the church over whether or not this was a first down. <laughs> Which is ridiculous for a couple reasons. First of all, like... I'm supposed to be setting a good example. The student pastor, you know, the team with the youth group, etc. Second thing is, I know nothing about football. Up till that point, I had never, never watched an entire game of football from beginning to end, like the whole thing. I don't, barely even know what a first down is. And I'm like yelling at this older dude about whether or not he made it. It's pastor guilt, you know? Like, oh, that's embarrassing. And then you got to go to like Thanksgiving and worship with these people and, you know, say what you're thankful for. Not that guy. (laughs) 
apologize. I mean, it's, it stinks. And like on a serious level, on a very profound level, like we have this experience where we can start to kind of wonder, maybe that's the reason, carrying around that shame, that embarrassment, maybe that's the reason why good things don't happen to me. Or maybe that's the reason why these bad things keep on happening to me. Well, Jesus speaks into that. And the thing that God didn't say, he didn't say that life is fair. But Jesus speaks into that, and he's about to show us that it's so much better than that. We're going to go to uh, the story of Luke, chapter 23. Um, You can follow along. We're phone-friendly on a a device. The words are going to be on the screen as well. Uh, Luke is a a fun passage. If you're you're new to the Bible and kind of putting this whole thing together, uh, the Jesus story was so incredibly important. It It was told four times, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, from four different perspectives. And what I love about Luke is he approaches this thing like a journalist. And he wasn't an eyewitness to all of these accounts, but what he did, like, as a good journalist, he interviews the people who were eyewitnesses. And he goes, like, one by one, he asks them, you know, what happened? You know, can you give your testimony? He wrote it down. He kind of compiled the entire thing. And so Luke approaches this like a journalist, and he's like, oh, listen, okay, so Jesus, you met him, yeah? He, he gave you your sight back. That's incredible. Bartimaeus, this is where you can find him. We have these names in Luke because he's like, if you don't believe me, go and ask Bartimaeus. Ask for the blind man. Just as a heads up, he can see now. <laughs> That's Luke. He's, he's assembling these testimonies together, and he's saying, like, this is what the people saw and experienced. And so we'll pick it up in Luke chapter 23 in verse 32 now, where we read that uh, two other men, both criminals, Jesus has recently been arrested and strung up on the cross, two other men, both criminals, who were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, it's this hill that kind of like has these indentations that look like a skull, and they called it what it was, and the place called the skull. They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other, and the other one on his, on his left. Um, we could talk for, for length about like what crucifixion was and the specific act that went into that. Uh, we're not going to do that this morning. Uh, I'd encourage you to look it up And another point. You know, just a brief comment that we get our word excruciating. It's the same root word as crucifixion. Like These things are very much related. What I'd like to highlight this morning, though, is, is from the Roman perspective, is, is how expensive this thing was. You know, you think about locking somebody in jail, and it's like, I don't know, lock them up and forget about them. Like, who, who cares? Uh, you think about if they were going to execute somebody, it's like, just do it quickly and, and move on. But crucifixion was another story. You know, looking at the act through the eyes of the Romans, of the people inflicting this thing, I mean, it took some time. It took days you know, they nail them to a cross. They got to wash them. They got to pay guards, Roman soldiers, to like make sure, you know, nobody comes and like steals him away. And you got to supervise this entire operation. It doesn't take minutes or hours. It usually took days. It's very public. I mean, this is like the most expensive way there was to kill somebody. And I'm just, I'm, sh- I'm sharing with this. I'm sharing this because it's like the criminals hung up next to Jesus. I mean, these were some bad dudes, right? This isn't, this isn't somebody who, like, rolled a stop sign, right? This, this, this isn't somebody who's like, well, you know, you shared your Netflix password with a couple too many people, so now we're going to do the... No, no, no. The expense shows 
what a huge deal it was to undergo this, of what they, well, I guess it's what they deserved. You know, and for Jesus, for his part, like, he's, he's next to these two guys, you know, and he's innocent. He didn't do the things that he's accused of doing. So what's his response? I think of my response, you know, and what would I do? I'd call down these angels and like, all right, Father, let's, uh, let's wipe them out. I think it's time to start over entirely. Heap down curses on the, on the people, like, you know. You do this and you will, you will always have an unskippable ad on every YouTube video you're ever going to watch, you know, whatever, like whatever the thing is. Like, that's my pettiness, but, well, Jesus says this in verse 34. He says, Father, forgive them. But they don't know what they're doing. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Like, how arrogant, how prideful, right? To be under the same death sentence and now to be, to be mocking the guy in the middle, the guy next to you. 40, but the other criminal rebuked him and said, don't you fear God since we're under the same sentence? We're punished justly for we're getting what we, what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. You know, there's like something universal about how anytime we mess up, anytime we do something guilt and shame inducing, there's like something human universal about having to like minimize that thing, deny that thing, blame that thing on somebody else and say like, no, 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 he didn't have the first down, right? That's his fault, not mine. I letting myself off the hook. I don't know what it was. We never find out what it was, but I just like imagine what, what was the thing that even with the minimizing, the denying, the ability to remarkable human ability to blame your misdeeds on somebody else, but the criminal that day was going, you know what? Crucifixion? I deserve this. Everything bad that's happening to me right now, I have brought on myself. What did this guy do? That's part of the human experience, isn't it, though? To, like, try to understand why. Try to connect the dots. If I have bad things happen to me, it's because I'm a bad person. If I don't have good things happen to me, it's because I didn't do enough good. I didn't, I didn't put that energy out into the universe, not nearly on the level that I should. I think we all, we all kind of get this. I think, you, I think you guys get it. I'm going to ask for a little bit of, uh, a little bit of help here. Um, let's play a little game, and you're invited to play along at home as well. I'm going to say a line, and I'm going to see if you guys know how to finish that line. So I'm going to say the thing, and then I'm going to invite everybody to respond kind of all in unison. Let's see if you get some of these things. What goes around comes around. Exactly. Your past will come back to haunt you, of course. If you make your bed, you gotta lie in it, sleep in it. We'll figure it out after the service. We'll figure it out. Uh, yeah, like, like there's something universal about like these things are all connected here. The, the, the guy hanging on the cross and the deeds that he did and he's going, I deserve what's happening to me right now. 
I would never admit this on stage, but sometimes I look at uh, the Reddit forums, you know, like some of you are like, Reddit, what's that? Don't worry about it. Just that. Forget about that entirely. But there's like a sub form on there. It's uh, instant karma, right? Where, uh, where like the you know, people get what's coming to them on like a near instantaneous level. And like when I'm having a bad day or if life seems unfair, like you go to that instant karma and you just like watch some of these things take place. And people post these videos, right, about how when somebody breaks the rules or something, you know, bad and all like karma, like bad things instantly happen to them. And like karma isn't our story. That's not a Jesus thing. That's not what we believe in as Jesus people necessarily. But, but like it feels good. <laughs> Right, like you just see, you just see like this high-end performance sports car just ripping by somebody else, and it's like ninety miles an hour over the speed limit, you know, just tearing. And there's a jealousy factor there too. Let's be honest. And then immediately as the guy tears by, it's like the the red and blue flashers come on in the car right in front, and it's like peel off. Oh, it feels good, right? And there's a dark part of me that's like, yes. I don't believe in karma, but I mean, maybe I believe in karma today. Because, <laughs> like, we want, we need everything to be fair, right? And so the guy, the thief, he, he's him, but he's all, he's all of us. And he's like, I mean, I was the guy. I got caught. I did some things. I deserve this. But then almost like on our behalf, he goes and he takes it a step further and he's got the audacity to go further in verse 42. And he says, uh, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus answered him. Like, what do you think the answer that Jesus would give? I wonder about what are some of the answers like I would give. Remember me when, you, when I come into the kingdom? Like, like seriously, that's what you're going to ask me right now? I was just doing the Sermon on the Mount thing. Like, where were you? <laughs> you? You decided to watch from home that day. I get that. Okay. I mean, you had some opportunities. You never, you know, you never cared until now. Now you care. Remember me when you come into your kingdom? Like, what are you, you going to do? You're going like, to commit your life to following God's way, right? Join a church, get baptized. You're going to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. Your rest of your life is like 20 minutes, like <laughs> too little, too late, pal. You're going to call somebody up and be like, you know, make amends. Yeah, ask for forgiveness. I'm sorry for the things that I've done and the ways that I've mistreated you. Like your hands are nailed to the cross. You can't call anybody. Also, phones haven't been invented yet. It's like, it's, it's a ridiculous ask. Remember me? Man, you know why you're here, right? You just said, I deserve this. Jesus didn't say those things. In verse 43, Jesus answered him. Truly I tell you today, you will be with me. And the word that he uses is paradise. A friend sent me this clip of the speaker, and it was too good not to, not to share with some of you guys of just how ridiculous, how absurd, how unfair this whole situation really is that he asks in the last couple of minutes of his life. And the response that he gets is paradise today 
Uh, the guy tells the story. He's like, just imagine, you know, Luke didn't get to interview him after he died, but just like imagine, like what happens next? He's dead. He he goes to heaven. He's at the he's at the gates, and he sees like the angel, you know, with the list. And the angel like double takes, like looks at him. He looks at the angel. The angel's like, what what are you doing here? And the guy's like, I don't know. I have no idea how I got here. And the angel's like, I, did you like? Did you like go to a Bible study or something? Did you join a church? You know, membership, baptism? Like, did you do the? Did you do the thing? He's like, definitely not. I was not any of those things uh, in my life. And the angel's like, I, I got to talk to my boss. So he goes and he gets, he gets his like uh, supervisor angel boss who comes down and like double takes it. What are you doing here again? I don't know. And he's like, okay, that's fine. We can clarify this thing. We can sort this whole thing out. We just, let's just get right down to the nitty-gritty of it. Let's get right down to the stuff that actually truly really matters. What is your position on the doctrine of salvation and faith alone? And the guy's like, what now? <laughs> you know, how about like sola scriptura? And he's like, what's a scriptura? I have no idea what you're talking about. And the guy's like, just one last time. How are you here right now? And the guy goes, I don't know. But the man in the middle, the man on the cross in the middle next to me told me I could come. And that's really just everything, isn't it? You know, we think about our good deeds and our bad deeds, and hopefully, you know, maybe in the end, the good outweighs the bad, and according to whom, and where's the scale, and you minimizing, deny, maybe not if it was my fault, or maybe it was, but really in the end, doesn't it all come down to just like that one statement? If we show up, the angel double takes, what are you doing? I don't know what I'm doing here, but the man on the cross next to me said that I could come. That's the beginning in the middle of, that is our hope, that is everything. Simply, that the man on the cross said, I could come. I can be here. That life is not fair. But what we see is that God's favor isn't fair either. Life isn't fair. God's favor isn't fair. Philip Yancey is this, uh, he's a a writer and he published this, uh, this article in Christianity Today of all places a little ways back and the name of the article is something like The Atrocious Math of God. Atrocious Math of Jesus. Uh, kind of provocative, but we can also start to see, you know, the stories that Jesus told and the, the life that he lived, and we can get a real sense of Jesus must have been a humanities major because his math does not check out. I was a humanities major. We're, it's fine. We can, we're all, all kind of in this together. Jesus tells these stories, absurd stories, you know, he's like, hey, listen, let me, let me tell you what God is like. This is what God is like. There's a shepherd. He's got 100 sheep. One goes missing. God is like the shepherd that goes out and finds the one, puts it on his shoulders, and brings it back. And the farmers are like, a couple questions. <laughs> Number one, who is watching the other sheep while the farmer? He's like, you're missing the point on the thing. Yeah, but I also know that there's, there's wolves, there's thieves, and there's gates that sometimes get unlocked. Like, you find the one, you bring it back, there's now 23 missing. Like, it doesn't make sense, God. It's absurd. I mean, don't, don't you get, like, the scales have to balance out here, and God's like, no, 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 life isn't fair. God's favor isn't fair. 
And Jesus actually, he, he rewards, in case you didn't know, he rewards just terrible investments. Do not look to this guy, Jesus, for investment advice. Like, there's this woman, Mary Magdalene, who, who, who takes this expensive, very expensive jar of perfume. Like, I mean, multiple tens of thousands of dollars and, and hands it over to Jesus in such a way like a drop would have done the trick, maybe you know, behind his ear a little bit. No, no, she breaks it open, pours it out, not on his head, on his feet. And everybody around is like watching as this stuff, this expensive stuff is like soaking into the floorboards. And Judas is like, you know, that was a bad investment. <laughs> and you know you're out of line when Judas is like, we could have done something better with that, right? It's atrocious. It's absurd. It's so unfair. Life is unfair. The favor of God is so incredibly unfair. The, the widow, you know, and her gift, Jesus hanging out at the, the temple, and, you know, he's like kind of casually like, like watching people make their tithes and offerings, which is super awkward, but he's Jesus, so we give him a bye. And they didn't have, like, texts to give, you know, or like Venmo gifts. They didn't do any of that. Gifts were given physically, so it's like, you know, the, the bigger the gift, the louder the thud, you know, was on the, uh, in, the, in the bucket when it falls in. And there's this woman, you know, that like comes up and she's got two copper coins. They don't even like have a name because they're not anything. They're not worth anything. But it's all she has. And she goes and she, and she drops them in and Jesus is like, hey, did you, did you guys hear that? And they're going, absolutely not. We did not hear that. We heard nothing. <laughs> And he goes, I tell you the truth, the biggest gift was just given today. That was it. And the disciples like, don't tell your, your top donors that story, Jesus. The people bankrolling this thing. That's not going to land well. It's bad math. It's absurd. I mean, that's not fair to the people who actually gave so much more. And, and Jesus is like, you know, for his sake, yeah, I didn't come to enforce this karma thing. That's not my story. I'm here to actually share the truth that like if you have this inclination deep down and you're like, you guys, it just, life isn't fair sometimes. Jesus is there going, yeah, it definitely isn't. My kids get that. When, when chewy granola bar, like Quaker does the grave misdeed of putting like more chocolate chips in one bar than the other bar and the kids like cry injustice it's not fair and i'm like you know what you're right quaker done mess up they acted unjustly life isn't fair thank goodness thank god literally life is not fair that god's favor is not fair family is definitely not fair. And that's what happened. That's what the man in the middle did. He made a way for us to become family. Tim, Tim Jones shares his story of the time that he, um, he adopted a, a little girl. And, uh, and the story is a bit tragic as it starts off because there was a family that had adopted her previously and it didn't work out, which is really saying it much too nicely because they ended up adopting her and then dissolving the adoption. And so you know that the story just simply didn't turn out well. And he knew that in the background of her story, there were promises that someday the family would take her to Disney World 
kind of the kid's dream, the magic kingdom. And like the, the awful part, the cruel part of the thing was that some of the family got to go to Disney World. You know, he unpacks the story a little bit more and he finds out that every time they went to Disney World, for, for whatever reason, this adopted little girl wasn't allowed to come. Like, like she was sent to go with grandparents, with some aunts and uncles to be watched for the, for the week while, while the biological family went to Disney World. And you're like, that, that's horrible. And so, so Tim, dad, he's like, you, you know what we got to do? <laughs> we got to go to Disney World. <laughs> and so he puts the date on the calendar and he, and he tells his, uh, his daughter, he goes, we're, we're going to Disney World. Let's look forward to it. And, uh, and he shares his story. Um, he says a peculiar thing started happening when they announced it. For months leading up to the vacation, his daughter, this girl, started acting out in the strangest ways, in the cruelest ways. Like, like she would start to like sneak food off, you know, and healthy snacks off to her bedroom. And they're like, you can just ask. And I would have said yes. You didn't have to hide it. Cruel inner comments of her, of her siblings, of, you know, as a, as a member of the family could say just exactly the wrong thing to like, like twist the knife, you know, just to inflict maximum pain with minimal words. That kind of acting out. You know, and one time he, he sits her down and, and, and he wants to talk to her and, he, and she's going, you're, you're not going to take me to Disney World, are you? And he goes, you know, in that moment, in that moment, I was tempted. In that moment, I was tempted. I was going to take her. Of course, I'm going to take her. But like in that moment, I'm tempted to say, not if you keep acting like this, you know, straighten up. He goes, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. What I did tell her is I said, honey, is this a family trip? She said, yeah. Honey, are you a part of this family? I am. And he goes, so we're going to Disney World. He goes, even then, I wish I could say that it got better. If anything, it got so worse. But we went. And it was, it was Disney. Overpriced tickets, overpriced meals, overpriced souvenirs. Long lines, but he goes, there was just enough, just enough manufactured magic that we might consider going again. And so later that night, he's tucking in his exhausted family, including this little girl, his daughter, tucking her in. And these are her words. Daddy, I finally got to go to Disney World but it's not because I'm good. It's because I'm yours. That's our story. Today you will be with me in paradise, our Easter hope. But it's not because we're good. It's because the man in the middle said that we could go, and he made a way. So we put our hope in him. And the guy who freely admits our 
instinct inside of each one of us, man, life isn't fair. And he goes, you're right. On top of that, God's favor isn't fair. And there is nothing fair about the family of God to we all belong. Let's approach that throne in grace. I invite you to stand up. Let's pray together to the God who made a way this Easter. Jesus, it's so unfair what you've done. God, we recognize ourselves uh, to an extent or another hanging on the cross to the right or to the left, either hurling insults or freely admitting that we belong here. But you, man in the middle, well, you made a way for all of us. Jesus, through your death and through your sacrifice, you made a way to conquer sin and death once and for all on our behalf. Jesus, with everything that we have, with everything who we are, we put our hope and we put our faith in you, the man in the middle who adopts us into your loving and gracious family. Today, Lord, Easter, we declare we belong to you. We, your adopted sons and daughters of the great high king, princes and princesses, Lord, we are yours. Not because we're good. Because you made a way. Jesus, thank you. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.